as I was thinking about this and, and uh, kind of a wrap, it's what you were made to live for. It's been, that's the title. It, there's been a lot of developments, if you will, um, that as a minister, you get to, you get to hear from a lot of different guys at different seasons of their life. And, and everybody, it feels like they're searching for something, right? And I started thinking about this, and it's not unique to, to guys, to men. It's, it's all a stage of life. You know, why do kids daydream about being astronauts or superheroes? You know, why do uh, college students, or do we call them the millennials, and they don't call them that because they hate that, that term, but that age group, right, that, that 18 to 30, why do they, um, why do they just naturally want to volunteer to be involved in charitable causes? I don't know if you've noticed that, but they, they gravitate towards that. They are very sensitive to the needs of the world and one of the first ones to step up to get involved. Why do sports fans lose their mind over a little round ball, right? Did you watch the, the game last night? I mean, folks are going nuts, and mom, you know, Kevin Grant's mom couldn't get enough of him, right? Kept grabbing his beard and wanting to talk to him. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, everybody gets so excited, and, and it was fun, right? Why do we keep track of records and then strive to break them? You know, why do guys... When they get to what we call middle age, right, why do they want to just wake up one day and say, oh, I want to start over. I want a new start with my wife. I want a new start with my job. I want a new start with a new vehicle. Or I want to move, you know. And then at the end of our life, why do we look back and wonder, you know, what could have been different? How could have I done things better? And it's really because um, we're all trying to live for something bigger. And so that's, that's that first. I'm going to pull out my thing so I can keep track of. There's, there's a natural gravitation, regardless if you're a Christian or not, to want to live this to, for something bigger than just ourselves. And if you think about it, that's pretty phenomenal, right? If, if, we were, if we were all there was and there was no God, right, then the simple end of life, the, the goal should be a pleasure, right? What can I experience during my finite days on earth for myself because when I die, I'm gone. But each of us, regardless of, of, your, of their faith, have this innate sense that we're, we're made to live for something bigger. We have this desire for transcendence. And it's because God placed it there. I always refer back to uh, Ecclesiastes 3, and verse 11. Uh, it says, He has made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He has put eternity into a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning uh, to the end. And so, God designed us, right, uh, to chase meaning and purpose. He put that in our hearts. And, uh, and I know that uh, a lot of the, we have several guys that, that uh, do the apologetics in the room, which is awesome. And that's, that's one of the things you talk about is, is where do the morals come from? Why, do, you know, why is it wrong to, um, uh, to abuse babies for fun? Right? Everybody in the room would say that. Regardless of, of what your faith is, you say, okay, you shouldn't torture babies for fun. Well, why? If, there is, if there's nothing else, if this is all there is, then what, what sets that moral standard? Right, that's above ourselves. Uh, you know, he gave us more than just our physical body. He gave us eyes to cast vision and brains to innovate and hearts to desire bigger and better. But then sin entered the world, right, and twisted everything, right. And so that time, that desire gets warped. Sometimes that desire goes away uh, completely, and so we quit chasing it. And sometimes we we get it confused and start chasing it on the wrong level. So um, I'm just gonna. There's four quick points of what we were intended to live for. And we're going to go back to Genesis to, to look that out and look at the beginning account. So um, the first one, we were made to live for God. 
We are made to live for God. Genesis 1.26, so taking this out of the account of, of creation, says, uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we are made in God's likeness. Um, you know, so we have that transcendent glory that, that humans, that they search for, that we long for, but we, that is not a part, it's not an element in creation. Does that make sense? God put that in us, but it's not in the world to look for. And we do that. We, we look everywhere in the world. We try and find our fulfillment in our jobs, in our relationships, in uh, whatever, drugs that make you feel different, uh, you know, even so, in serving. We do all these things, and we were made with this, this inner pull that can only be satisfied by God. Right? You've heard of that, that God-shaped hole in all of our hearts, and each of us try and fill it. Um, but it can only be filled by God. And so our lives from the very beginning were designed to be shaped by the Creator. We were made in God's image. Um, and as, as we look through creation, nothing else was created, right, it, um, that, was, that was similar to us. And so I'll, I'll come back and read some of these verses later. But as you go through, through chapter 2, um, in verses uh, 7 through 9, that's, where, that's the account of God forming man. So he said, the Lord God formed the man from dust in the ground, breathed into his nostrils and breath of, of life, and man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so God created man, and he gave us a place to dwell with him. That was the original plan. Then we can go drop down to verses 15, and it talks about um, God puts us in the garden to work, and it said, you know, he gave us the command, don't eat of, of, of the uh, tree of, um, of knowledge. And then uh, after that is when he creates the animals, and he creates Eve. And so all those things that we search for, our work, our relationships, those, were, those are elements that God blessed us with, but we were created for that relationship with God first. Does that make sense? That, so our relationship with God is, is meant to be primary, but we get that all mixed up. And so um, one, of, one of the things that and I know we're, we're going to get to a discussion time, so I'm just trying to get, lay the foundation for this. One of the things that is so important is how do you pursue God? How do you pursue that relationship with God first in your life? What does that look like? If you're not, most of you guys hopefully are morning people because you're here early in the morning, but I know some of you, it, it's a fight every morning to get here, and I appreciate you making it. But one of the things, if you're not a morning person every day of the week, I would encourage you to try and, try and do that, right, um, for several reasons. But number one is starting off every day with the Lord changes everything. You can control your very first part of your morning, and sometimes even that's difficult. But the rest of your day, you can have great intentions, but you can get sidewhacked. You know, you're going around and say, okay, I'm going to spend time with the Lord at lunch. Well, then your, your middle of your day blows up, or I'm going to do it at the end of the day, and who knows what's coming or, or what happens. Psalm uh, 5.3 says, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Uh, a couple other verses. You know, how, how, do, we, how do we do that? Um, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, how do we take every thought captive if we don't spend Christ till later on? Right? If, if Christ is not the very first thing that we do in the morning... 
where we're trying to order our day and, and set our minds and our hearts right for the day ahead unless we spend time with, with, with the Lord in the morning. Um, and then Philippians 4, 7 says, guarding your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Same principle. How do we guard it if it's not primary in our life? So how do we make our relationship with the Lord primary? Basically is what it is. Just like we go back to creation, how do we make it the most important thing in our life? Well, getting up early in the morning is not the only way to do that, obviously, but it is one way to do that. And then you, you look at the example of Jesus. In uh, Mark one thirty five says, In the morning, rising up a great while before the day, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. You can find that all throughout Scripture, not just with the Lord. You can see it with Abraham. You can see it with Moses. You can see it with David. And so that's, that's one example of how we can help prioritize our relationship with the Lord to set us up for success throughout the day. So number one, and probably, the, not probably, absolutely the most important part is that we have to realize that we are made to live um, for God. So second, we were made to live for truth. That's a very generic statement. Um, but immediately after God created Adam and Eve, he spoke to them, right? And that was, that's unique to us. Uh, God's hardwired us with, to, to communicate with him and to do it frequently. And so uh, Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And then uh, chapter 2, verse 16 says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, surely, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day you eat of it you shall surely die. And so, um, you know, God gives us those, those glorious truths. And in a day and age where we get a lot of different sources for truth, and a lot of people say, well, where do you, you know, how, this is true or this is true, and it's all relative. So what's true for you is fine. That's not true for me. Uh, it's easy to get all spun around. So how, how do you find your North Star? How do you find what's really true? And obviously that's, that's time spent with, with the Lord. And so just if you've ever done a word search in the Bible about truth, you'll see that the Bible values it very highly, right? And God des- describes himself as true. So uh, John four twenty four, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to the Father except for by me. Excuse me. Um, we, our relationship with God changes everything. And so uh, if, if we don't know the truth, then how can we live for the truth? Does that make sense? You've got to know what you believe in. I, I, heard, a, I heard a pastor say one time, uh, and he was talking about the, the Bible. And he said, here in America, he said... Uh, the average household has seven copies of the Bible in their home, and they read none. Right? And he was talking about how the Bible illiteracy, that everyone's got a copy of the Bible. We sit on the coffee tables. We put it in these display cases. We have them all over the place, but we don't actually open them and read it. And he said, how can you proclaim to love a God that you don't know? That was pretty harsh. But it, but it hit me right there. It, if, I, if I had a book up here and I said, if you read this book, and you'll get a million dollars. How many of you would read that book? I'd I, I, I place the major. I bet you most people in the room. How about if you read this book, you'll grow in your relationship with the, with the Lord of all creation, and you'll have eternal life and spend with him forever. Is that maybe a little bit better than a million dollars? And yet we don't read it. We don't. And so we, we have to know the truth before we can live for it. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. So here's the truth, right? Truth is in God's word. 
Psalm 1, 1 through 3. I love this, the way that the psalmist begins the psalms. It said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on the law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. That's a pretty cool description, isn't it? Okay, so live for God, live for truth. Two more. Uh, number three, we were made to live for community. We were made to live for community. Back to uh, chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper for him, fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens that brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever man called every living, thing, every living creature, that was his name. The man gave the names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with the flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from man, he made into woman and brought her to man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So, God carefully creates this world, and that's the, we see it this first time in Scripture when God said it is not good, right? After he created something that was good, he created something good, he created something good, he comes to this, he said it's not good for man to be alone. So, similar to how the, the community of, 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 uh, of God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we were made for community with the Lord, we were made for community with others. Now, this progression that we see here in Scripture, do you think that was really God trying to find a suitable helper for, for Adam? You think he was going, ah, okay, you probably don't fit with the elephant. Um, no, that, that canary's probably too small for you. No, I, my guess is God knew what he was doing, right? And he had this order of creation. So that was more the benefit for Adam. I, I think there's a side benefit. I think God knew that if he had Adam name the animals after he was created, he'd be wrong on half of them if he changed anyways. But the other side of that, that was a joke, by the way, um, the other side of that is, is God knew, he was, that, that was for the benefit of Adam. He knew that if Adam went through and named all these animals, he would see that, man, they, they have some really cool things that God created, but there's no helper for him. There's no one that was fit for man, right? And then what, what, what um, place did, did, did Adam have in creating Eve? Nothing. He didn't know anything about her, right? God called him to go to sleep. He said, all right, you're out of this, right? And took his rib and then fashioned woman. And then all of a sudden, you know, whoa, holy cow, right? Thank you. Way to go, God, right? Whoa, man. That's what John Mark always says. Um, and so we get to this point. We were made for community, right? And we see that in the first marriage, right? And, and, and they were both naked and they were not ashamed. They were in perfect community. But yet we have to see the relationship first. The reason that marriage was, was perfect and blessed was because they each had the relationship with the Lord first. God created Adam, Right? And so that relationship was there with Adam and God directly. Then God created Eve. Had nothing to do with Adam. He was asleep. Right? Dude was on the couch snoring. So, but so Eve's relationship was with the Lord. The Lord created Eve, and then they were, they were in union together because of their relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense? So we have a lot of relationships in our, in our lives today. Um, you know, we, we've got parents. We've got siblings. We've got kids. We have work relationships. We have community relationships. We have spouses. 
So all these relationships, we were made to live in community, and yet, you know, we're, we're at the most connected time in history where you have all these social media, you have the Internet, you have phones, you got FaceTime. I, I mean, I can talk to someone and look at them, you know, on the go, and yet we're the most disconnected than we've ever been at this, in history, right? If you look at our social relationships, well, you know, that, that's a problem, and we don't recognize it as a problem. That's the, that's the other problem of the problem is that we think we're good, we don't need extra relationships, especially we're guys. And we're told, well, you can do it on your own, right? You don't need other people. A real man, right, does it himself. He doesn't need help from anybody. But that's contrary to what we see in, in Scripture. And so a couple other uh, Scriptures there, John 15, 12, and 13 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love uh, has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Right? We, are, we were made to live for more than just ourselves. That's how we were created. This is the first time in Scripture we see where it said it's not good. Right? Something God created was not good. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one, and, one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, you know, and, and that community is so important. So we talked about that a little bit on the front end. Even non-Christians, those without a relationship with the Lord, Understand the, the, the priority of serving each other, right, and then having community. And we see that. It, have you seen that there's now a church for atheists, which I think is hysterical, right? But they understand the value of, of community, and that's what it is. And so, um, anyways, all right, so we're made to live in community. And I'm sorry I'm rushing right through these, but that's to get to the end, because I think that's the most important part. And the last one is we were made to live for stewardship. So something that you don't necessarily think about when you're thinking about uh, Genesis, but uh, a couple of scriptures here. Uh, Genesis, we're back to Genesis 28. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that involves. So God created the world, and then he placed it in the hands of us, right? And he says, Okay, now you're, you are my resident managers. So he's, he has blessed us with, with caring for all the amazing things that, that he has created. But there's a purpose to the blessing, and that's where I think sometimes we we um, we miss it. And we have you know we often have a very narrow minded view of, of stewardship, you, especially in a church. You hear stewardship, and okay, someone's asking for money again. Well, money's a small piece of it, and and Jesus talked a lot about our money because you know that where our treasure is, our heart will be also. But it's not just money, right? It's our talent, it's our time, it's everything that God has entrusted to us as stewards, and that we'll have to ultimately give an account for. Um, you know, there's a so that principle. Let me jump over to Genesis 12 that, uh, that you can see all throughout Scripture, but I'll, I'll read this because Abram is, is really clear. So Abraham, um, he was Abram here before, in, in chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country. This is the calling of, of, of Abraham, right? So when, when God was calling him. So first of all, you know, he just tells him to go, right? He, and and, and that, that's a scary thing in and of itself. Leave everything you know, leave all your tribe, leave all, your, you know, all the stuff you got, and just go to a land that I'll show you. So he doesn't even know where he's going. But go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Right? There's a purpose to every blessing we have. So that. Look at that throughout Scripture. Right? That that God blesses us. That's God's economy. He blesses us so that we can bless others. It's never solely for our benefit. Does that make sense? We weren't saved for ourselves. 
Right? Otherwise, we would, we would die upon, you know, once we're saved, there's no purpose left on earth. God would call us home. But no, there's a purpose, right? Now we are to be his ambassadors. We are to be salt and, and light. We are to be his hands and feet. There is a purpose to every blessing. And so, uh, you know, Jesus in John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. <clears throat> That's the so that. That's why did Jesus come? So that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. And so, as we're talking about this, <clears throat> we often talk, <clears throat> excuse me, especially when we're talking about sins, we like to talk about sins of commission, things that we did, right? There's also the sins of omissions, right? James 4.12, says the things that you know that you should do that you don't, for that, that's sin for you. And we don't think about that in, in terms of stewardship. But if God has blessed you with time or talent or resources, and we don't use that, for him, right? We, we see ourselves more as owners than, than, than managers or stewards. We're going to be held accountable for that. So what, is that, what does stewardship look like in our life? Not just financial, just a lifestyle, right? How are we living to bless those around us? Okay, so um, why does it matter today? Those four areas, that, I thought it was kind of a good summary of where we came out of, the man God uses, plus a little bit of, of what uh, in VBS that, that John Mark talked about, but it shows that from the very beginning, God's original intent and plan, right, is that we would attach ourselves to him, so we'd live for God, um, that we would be guided by his truth, that, uh, that we would be immersed and surrounded in community, and that we would be a steward of the gifts that he's blessed us with. And so what I want to do is, is, is spend the last 15 minutes of this time in small groups talking about it. I thought there's a lot of value to share in our testimonies a little bit and hearing from guys in the room, but it's tough to do in a large room to have a, a, a good discussion. And so at your tables, I'm going to ask you to just talk about these two questions. Because God has placed you where he wants you. I mean, some of you, he may be having a call to go to Africa or to go somewhere else, but you are on mission where God has placed you. He has gifted you and placed you where you're at for a very specific purpose at a very specific time in history. You could have been born at any time. It wasn't chance that you're here now at this time for this season. So let, let's, here's what I want you to share. There's two questions. These are on the back. It says, what two areas do you feel like you are strong? So relationship with God, uh, handling the truth, community with others, and uh, stewardship. And if, in, in those areas that you're strong, share what, what helps you be that. I mean, wh- why do you think you are strong? How does that display itself? What are, are there tricks or manifestations that, that you're saying, okay, man, this, I do this X, Y, and Z, and this helps me stay close to the Lord, Right? Or, this has really been a heartbeat of my wife and I, and here's how stewardship has come into our play, and we made it a part of our daily life. Best practices, basically, for Christian living. Pretty cool. Then, the, the other two. What two areas do you feel uh, you have the most opportunity to improve? So, none of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. And so, where are some areas that, man, I, I need to do better on? And then, as you're sharing, hopefully you'll come up with a, with a, a, a way that hopefully you can a, approach that and address that this week. And then the thing at the bottom is just exchange an email or a phone number or something, and then one time over the next week, either text them or email you know, the guys in your group and just say, hey, how are you doing with this? Right? Just a little bit of, of encouragement along the way, because that's what we're made for for a community. So uh, hopefully within the smaller groups, we'll have a good discussion and uh, a little bit of time to, to get after that. All right? I'm sorry I kind of breezed right through it, but I was trying to get to it, because I think this is the most important part, is to spend a little time wrestling with this and applying it in our daily life.